Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky. I'm the founder and president at ABS Kids. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. Today, we welcome autism advocate and author Sam Farmer back to the podcast for his third appearance to talk to us about the autism workplace. As many of you may know, Sam is an author of a book titled A Long Walk Down a Winding Road. The book offers clear advice and simple steps for overcoming adversity and improving your life. Sam has a ton of experience navigating the workplace. Sam also regularly creates coaching videos and writes a blog for AANE, that's the Asperger Autism Network. His goal is to help others help themselves. We're thrilled to welcome you back. Sam, let's jump into it. <laughs> All right, wonderful. Great to be back. Oh, I, I yeah, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. But let's talk about your history. Uh, and maybe this will kind of give us uh, a little bit of perspective to understand where this advice is coming from. But what was your first job? My first job was actually quite wonderful. Um, sophomore year of high school. I was working as a pot washer, dishwasher, uh, busboy type uh, for a uh, for what was called an eating club back then um, at Princeton University, where I was growing up in Princeton, New Jersey. We lived like not even a mile away from the university, and many of us, many of us in high school often went to these eating clubs, which others might think of as fraternities, uh, to find work in the kitchen. And what made that job wonderful was that I had it until I graduated high school. I worked with very kind, understanding, good people, some who were my age, also in high school, others who weren't. And with a group of college students there, who thankfully uh, liked me. And it helped also that, uh, that as a piano player back then, they had a piano in the back room where people would like hang out before or after a meal. And I would often play piano for them. And they were grateful for that. <laughs> so uh, that was wonderful. So it, when you're talking about, you know, that first job and, and actually it kind of gets me thinking on a, on a different subject, but, and, and I guess I'll throw this question out there right now in our workforce, there's not a lot of stickiness. You just mentioned how proud you were that you were at the same job for a bulk period of time. Is there something more unique about uh, the autistic experience that kind of where you want that consistency in your job, where you want to know what you're doing and you're and you're maybe willing to stay with a job a little bit longer because it feels right? Well, consistency is a great point. Uh, predictability, structure, familiarity are all very, very important, and all of which contributed to why, to this day, I'm still in the same job that I've had for 25 plus years. 
you're with a company that long, you know what to expect going into work. You know the people very well. You're locked in, as I've been for a very, very long time with the routine. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's that sense of predictability, knowing what's expected of me, knowing the work, in my case, knowing the technology well, Mm -hmm. where I'm an information technology solutions consultant. Um, And uh, the people, Uh, more important than anything else, the people you're surrounded with, your coworkers, have been really wonderful that I've had every reason to be at the job that I've been at to this day for 25 years. Yeah, and what you just said, I don't know that that changes too much when you were talking about the people. I don't think that changes too much for anybody's job experience is that the culture is the people. You don't leave the the job, you leave the people that are working in the job Arguably, with you. Yes. So, yes. do you have do you have any stories about, you know, specific people within the workplace that maybe and I guess this would be a teaching lesson for all of us, but maybe we're able to help a neurodivergent person acclimate to the environment better? What could they have done or what did they do? Because you're still there 25 years later to make your experience that much better. Well, I write about this at length in my book, in my workplace success chapter. And there's really a lot, a lot of you can do, a lot of good habits that can be built with respect to things like work hard, um, be likable, um, and by be likable, I'm referring even to little things like if you see that somebody is behind you, open the door for them. If you're headed to the elevator, let them walk in before you walk in. If you're walking down the hallway and you see somebody working on something and they're struggling with it, Maybe just to ask, are you okay? Is there anything that I can do to help out, as I've often done at work? Um, Doing things that make you likable, even when somebody sneezes, saying bless you. Little things in the workplace like that can go a long way. If you're in a workplace where you're collaborating with other people, rather than saying, I got this done, I did the work, I'm really proud of this. Instead, say, we did it, we did the work. Having that team concept and people will find you likable. Mm -hmm. Um, To use the words, words matter very much in the workplace. That when you're in a team effort to acknowledge your team members, back them up if something comes up on a day off when when they're not around, but you're around. Have their back when they need you to. In terms of coping with stress in the workplace, uh, get out of your cube, um, take a walk around the office floor, 
as long as people aren't really immersed in what they're doing, um, if they look like they can give you a second of their attention, just say hi, maybe strike up a quick conversation. If you have coworkers with children, um, any parent is gonna love it if you ask them, hey, how are your kids doing? How's school going for them? What have you? Expressing interest in, in the lives of your coworkers. And uh, also um, take a break, taking breaks, very, very important. Um, if the weather is nice and you have a couple of minutes, get out of the building, take a walk around the building just to kind of let off steam, get some sun, taking breaks, stopping for a minute just to take a deep breath in and then out. And when you're breathing out, kind of imagine in your head that all of the stress that's inside of you is leaving your body as your breath leaves you. Breathing in and out, as simple as it is, can work wonders. I depend upon that on a daily basis <laughs> for managing stress in the workplace. Um, and uh, those are among the many different pointers that I give in the book um, of little things, small things that can go a really, really long way in terms of being successful in the workplace from a social perspective, uh, being likable. Mm -hmm. The other thing I'll bring up is that um, it can be a very, very difficult decision to make of do I reveal my diagnosis or do I not? It's something that you may wanna think about depending upon how you feel about the people you're working with. You may want to do this, you may not want to. I'm in favor of disclosure, but I'm fortunate enough to have the confidence that I can tell people I'm autistic and not face reprisals Regrettably, because of ableism uh, rearing its ugly head in many mm -hmm. workplaces, regrettably, that can be easier said than done. It's certainly a decision you want to think about before you do it. But to me, a potential advantage of revealing your diagnosis is that people will know that and the expectations that they set of you can then be tailored accordingly. Being honest about your strengths and weaknesses, being honest, which is often looked upon as being courageous, of maybe telling people what your vulnerabilities are, what you're good at, what you're not so good at, being candid about those things, often will do you good. Because yeah. then your your coworkers can internalize that and treat you accordingly. Because you don't want your coworkers, certainly not your management, expecting more from you than maybe you can handle. Yeah, I like the way that that you phrase that as being able to explore your strengths and weaknesses and helping your team to understand. Because you are a team, is that everybody needs to understand those Correct. working parts and so. 
even if you don't disclose a diagnosis and you're not wanting to go the full nine yards to say, hey, you know what, this is how I identify, which nobody should be ashamed of or not have pride in or it's anything. Courageous. It's, it's courageous. It's a wonderful like you thing said. to do in, in my view, mm-hmm. uh, but you need to be careful. And if you don't disclose, that may very well be okay. You can be honest with coworkers about your strengths and weaknesses, um, what you're good at, where you're vulnerable, not so good at. You can reveal those sorts of things without revealing a diagnosis. Absolutely. But if you do reveal a diagnosis, is that diversity in the workforce makes a team stronger. Diversity in thought makes a, a group work better and think outside the box. I'd love to hear, because you've been a a very integral part of a lot of the teams you've worked with, I want to hear from your perspective where neurodivergent ideas, where somebody, a neurodivergent employee has really pushed the rest of the workforce in a positive way to be able to start maybe adapting or thinking different or making that experience better for the whole team. Well, there are a number of uh, companies, thankfully, an increasing number, who are, with the help of, of, of organizations who advocate for neurodiversity, who are helping them to create autism hiring programs. And um, what many of them say in interviews that I've come across, and I've written about this to some extent, in articles that I've written for various media outlets is that, like you said, when you bring aboard neurodivergent people, it's a win-win. You, you get a big confidence boost, a, a good, great sense of purpose, a feeling of pride to be neurodivergent and to be hired um, at a company And there are a number of very prominent companies doing this publicly. um, Dell Technologies comes to mind, Microsoft, AMC Theaters, Walgreens, increasing numbers of companies as each day goes by, understanding the value of neurodiversity in the workplace for that reason, a variety of perspectives are showing that you understand that within the human population that there are a variety of different neurological profiles. I have referred to them at times as alternative neurologies with differing perspectives, that you need those perspectives in order to be able to develop products, develop services, that are well-rounded, well-informed by more than just one type of person who thinks in one kind of general sort of way, um, that everybody wins. It's an education for everybody. And I've come across interviews of managers of teams of people that are neurodiverse who are um, who are just besides themselves with joy mm-hmm. that um, look at the results that we see 
yeah. from from this kind of outlook on how we're hiring and bringing in um, a neurologically diverse workforce. It's wonderful, mm-hmm. which I think accounts for why more and more companies increasingly are taking this approach. Yeah, I couldn't agree more is that in in my workforce is that I've been able to see firsthand is that having somebody challenge your thought process, challenge your ideas, make you think in a different way only makes you stronger. But I also would like to say is that with a neurodivergent workforce, you're also getting skills and abilities that might not have existed in your current team is that you have. It's not a matter of trying to bring somebody in the workforce that is not going to technically impact it in a positive way. There are technical skills in every job set that neurodivergence immediately enhances, which is you bring up a great point. You bring up a great point, which is that autism, for example, isn't all about challenges and adversity and that I need to be taking this medication or I need that kind of therapy. There are strengths, really good attributes that come with it. And I and many others whom I've met in the autism spectrum community are really good examples of this. Everybody on the spectrum is different, you know, in certain respects. You're you're not going to find two people, any two people on the spectrum with identical profiles. But for me and for others, it's things like out-of-the-box thinking, it's things like having really good analytical skills, being able to really, really focus on a task, hyper-focusing, if you want to call it, for very long periods of time. Um, and uh, creativity. Um, let's see. Uh, as far as out-of-the-box thinking goes, this is kind of more of an example from school, but it could still apply to the workplace. I wrote a paper about one of my favorite jazz musicians from my high school history class. I said, look, uh, to my teacher, this musician who I'm writing about is truly a historical feature, uh, a historical figure who did many great things for jazz music in America. And this is a history class. So do you think that's relevant? Can I write about this? And thankfully, he said, yes, Sam, go for it. I love that idea. Not everybody is going to think to write a paper with a listening guide to recordings of his um, for a history class, for an Mm -hmm. American history class. But I got it done, and I was honored to hear him say, Sam, this is one of the best papers I've ever written in uh, in my academic career. And go figure, it was a paper about a jazz musician for an American history class, thinking outside the box, thinking in ways that probably most others wouldn't, while still doing something that's relevant 
whether it's to a class in school, whether it's to a project in a workplace, Mm -hmm. um, different ways of thinking about things. You take one thing that exists in this world, it can be looked at from so many different angles. People can attribute any number of different spins to the same phenomenon or event. So many different interpretations of the same thing. We're all better off for having an understanding of more of those perspectives than fewer of them. Uh, when you were when you were describing all of those things, uh, going through the idea of being analytical, being able to stay focused, being able to think outside the box. I'm just sitting there and I'm like, all right, if I did a reference check on somebody and this is what came back, I'd be like, all right, sign them up, get them onto my team right away. They have all of these inherent skill sets that I'd love to bring yes. on my team. So yes. when you're coaching uh, autistics to go out and find work, to go and apply for jobs. Are you coaching them to highlight these skill sets, these strengths? Are you helping them to really enhance their own profile by really looking at who they are and being aware of that? Well, I'll admit that I'm not doing that kind of thing. I'm not coaching people. Really what I'm doing is I'm writing about people and about organizations who are working to enhance inclusivity and neurodiversity in the workplace. In my book, again, my chapter on workplace success, I have a number of tips that I hope, I can only hope, will help people who read through them to maybe improve their work situation uh, beyond what it is when they first pick up the book. It's through my writing um, that I endeavor to help others. I wouldn't call it coaching, per se. And I don't expect everything that I write or that I say during a podcast or during an author talk uh, to resonate with everybody. That, that's not what it's all about. I'm hoping that I can reach a few maybe reasonable number of people, if even a fraction of what I have to say can really resonate strongly with the reader, then I'm happy about that. Because I know that what I'm writing, what I'm saying, um, isn't going to resonate with everybody. And that's perfectly fine. None of us can satisfy everybody else. Mm -hmm. But if some value, some value, can be gleaned uh, by the reader from something I've said or something I've written, great, I'm good. Yeah. So how how do you see that hiring process going? And this might, I and I actually don't really know how to look at this from two different angles. One from the employer perspective is, how do I make sure that employer is not downplaying the abilities of this individual who's coming in and and might present differently than the next person. How do I make sure that employer has an open mind? How do I how do I encourage that more? Well, um, my opinion is perhaps to 
to seek advice or to get help from organizations that are doing work with corporations in formulating and managing and ensuring the success of these autism hiring programs and to seek advice from people who know, the people who are in positions of making hiring or otherwise kinds of decisions. Um, I'm not that person. Uh, what I do know is that a lot of criticism, I think fittingly, has been attributed to the traditional job interview, that a traditional job interview often doesn't allow neurodiverse people to properly showcase their strengths and often regrettably will set them up for failure, leading to the disproportionately high unemployment rate among neurodiverse people in this country. Um, I would hope, I believe from what I've read that it's coming down, but it's still disproportionately way too high, more to be done. But seek out the right people for advice on certain hiring programs with certain companies. Uh, there's research that can be done on the internet of these companies' hiring programs. I've seen them. I've looked at them to gather uh, information uh, which I have seen fit to share in the various articles that I've written, which again, all of which are listed at samfarmerauthor.com of what I've written about. But um, there are coaches in the community who can help you with these things. Who should I turn to for employment? How should I approach a job interview? Should I seek out an autism hiring program that would spare me of the traditional job interview and maybe allow me to showcase my strengths through, uh, through an internship? Or if there are interview questions that I would be allowed to write out my responses to, maybe from the comfort of my own home, and then submit back to the person making the hiring decisions, rather than the pressure of being face-to-face -face with somebody in a room interviewing you, those sorts of things. It's seeking out the right people to, to uh, be able to proceed accordingly. Yeah, so you just mentioned something very interesting to me, and that was the idea of giving somebody the opportunity to process a and in potentially do it in a written form, but not sure. having to do it face to face, which yes. right okay. now is becoming more and more the norm of the workforce in general. Yes. COVID has changed the way yeah. that we have done business. Um, how do you see that? How do you see that as a as a benefit for potentially neurodiverse individuals, or is that or is it not a benefit? It, I mean, what is the view on that? I think it's wonderful because uh, the more options that you can provide job candidates of how they can apply for positions, the better, because. We all have 
differing sets of skills. Ideally, any employer would want to be able to see the strengths of the candidate. Maybe some of them would want to hear out a candidate's assessment also of what they're not good at. But to give the options of, do you want to be face-to-face in a room? Do you want to answer interview questions online or through email where you're not faced with the pressure of being face-to-face? Do you not want anything to do with any kind of interview, written, remote, or in person, that you would rather, say, go into a, uh, an internship um, or a, uh, a kind of program where you're given ample time to showcase your strengths to the extent that you would want to be able to show your strengths so that you're better positioned to land the job. It's all those different approaches. Bring it on. I'm sure people can think of others that I haven't mentioned just now because we're dealing with a diversity of people, with a diversity of different sets of strengths, of vulnerabilities. Um, And the more options you give in light of that, the better. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I, watching it firsthand with the kids and sometimes the remote learning from last year, it kind of puts it into perspective is that you had a lot of, a lot of children and I'm not saying this is everybody, but you had, you had a group that just started thriving by doing more of a remote engagement, having more uh, social media based relationships rather than having to do it in person. It's having that option of how best, to be able to bring out your skill sets in the workforce has got to be the same. It, it's got to be in the same vein somewhere, right? It's, you know, give people the option to work how they're best going to be able to produce. Is that what you're Absolutely, seeing? without question, that's exactly it. Being so, respective, being respectful of the different scenarios in which differing people, kinds of people can succeed. Mm -hmm. The notion that if you're in a workspace, uh, that some people work better if they can kind of be in the privacy of their own cube and not just thrown in the middle of the floor, maybe right smack next to other coworkers. Maybe they work better when they're in the privacy of their own cube. Maybe they work better when they are side to side with other people where maybe that can facilitate dialogue between colleagues and facilitate teamwork. I mean, any number of things that I've come across as I've read and researched this, of how you do interviews, how you recruit, um, whether you're letting people work remotely or have the option of working in an office space, how you organize your office space in terms of where people work, how they work, whether in groups or individually, or maybe a mix of both. That plays into how you organize the office space, what goes where. Mm -hmm. There's so much to think about, so much involved. 
And there are plenty of people in the community who know a lot more about this than I do, about what would work and what wouldn't. And those are the people, I think, to seek out to learn more about this. And the more you know, the more likely I think you are to succeed in the work. Mm-hmm. It's funny that it takes a pandemic for us to to figure out something that seems so logical. (laughs) Isn't it remarkable? Oftentimes we learn things the hard way. And interestingly, sometimes, oddly enough, maybe that's the best way to learn because uh, it really rubs in if if things are learned the hard way. Mm -hmm. That it's hard in that initial moment. But then long term, it could uh, it could be beneficial, perhaps yeah, intuitively. <laughs> having these discussions and actually thinking about it and realizing everybody's individual preference might be different. Yet yeah. to have the best work environment, you have to be flexible at times. All of these things are so key. Yeah. And I know that you touch on a lot of this in, in your book. And I do want people to understand, you know, just that experience that you're sharing of how you navigated from day one and and got into the workforce and were able to excel through the workforce is people can learn from that experience. So where do they get that information? Where do they get the information about your videos and blogs? Well, they can go to samfarmerauthor.com forward slash media. And there are a number of articles in the list of articles and blogs that I have at the top of that page a reasonable number of which deal with neurodiversity in general, neurodiversity in the workplace. I write a lot about different institutions, organizations that are working towards greater inclusivity in the workplace. Much of my research that goes into my article writing zeroes in on organizations who are doing the critical work that I think the public at large should know about and be aware of, and links to all of those articles, and of course, links on the book page to where my book can be found um, on Amazon. It's all there at samfarmerauthor.com, and below that long list of links to articles and blogs, I have various videos and recordings of interviews and other items that might be relevant. But I think that with respect to the workplace and with respect to neurodiversity, really the articles on my media page um, are going to be maybe more relevant than the videos I've done. Uh, It's all at Sam Farmer Author. Yeah, and we appreciate all of the time that you've put into to gathering this material. And I'll I'll firsthand say it's so important as just looking through it, it. It just creates more dialogue. It creates more discussion and hopefully change over time. So thanks again, Sam. We appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. 
Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting abskids.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week. Thank you.